Thank you, my brother. I forgot my water. Would you hand it to me? I'll get it. Stay standing if you would, and if you've got a device of some kind or you've got good old leather-bound pages, find Luke 2.49, and uh, let's read God's Word together, and then we'll pray, and then you can be seated. Luke 2.49. Let me get my device to where it's supposed to be. When you got it, say, I got it. All right, Luke 2.49. Just a very simple verse. It may be up on the screen. I'm not sure. I'm not looking. I think there it is. It's a short verse. Uh, and whether you have a Bible or Android or iPad or some other device, let's read it out loud, loudly, and together from off the screen. You ready? One, two, three, read. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Let's read those last seven words again. I must be about my father's business. Father, we thank you for the word of God that is alive and quick and sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. Lord, that the word of God, not my words, but your words, Lord, will cut asunder the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Father, this service today is about you. It's about what you can do, what you want to do in our lives. It's not about a speaker, a guest. It's not about any of those things. Lord, I'm just a mouthpiece. And God, I just declare that my thoughts will be your words, and Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise for what you will do today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Just before I jump into the message, I want to talk about what Pastor mentioned, a resource table. I'll tell you a little bit about who I am and what I do. Some of you know that I have been to Lake City slash City Church many times before. I travel and speak uh, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, a career uh, youth minister, still do it, still speak to young people, um, speak in public schools about sex. Yes, I just said sex in church. Uh, actually, my, how many of you know God invented sex, not Playboy? Come on, somebody. All the husbands said, amen. Anyway, I'm sorry, ladies, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, um, I speak about sexual purity, unashamed to be pure. Wednesday night, if you've got a young person, they need to be at uh, Activate. We're going to talk about unashamed to be pure. It's not, uh, shouldn't be shameful. You're not weird. You're not strange. Uh, the first time I ever had sex in my life was July the 15th, 1978 in Austin, Texas at the Hilton Hotel at 1130 at night in room 1158. <laughs> you say, dang, how do you, how do you remember that? It was my first time. And everybody remembers their first time, and it was my wedding night. Unashamed to be pure. So when I talk to young people about sexual purity, being unashamed to be pure is not something I wish I'd done. It's not something that, oh, I don't do what I did. And you know, I, when I was in college and high school, man, I was just a man hoe. No? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm a youth. I didn't, I, I was a sexually active young man. No, I'm not saying that. I wasn't. I'm saying that I lived a pure life. And so I can talk to young people with great boldness. And I do get a privilege as a, as a missionary, if you will, to speak in public schools. Uh, I was just in Mongolia in November for the ninth time. And not only did I pour my life into leaders, but in the mornings and in the evenings, uh, three of the afternoons, I got to speak in Mongolian public schools because uh, they know about me. I've, I've done it many times there. So uh, those resources apply to parents, to youth. There's one out there called the value of virginity. There's one called the role of the parent, um, breaking down communication barriers. The one I hold in my hand is one of my personal favorites. It's called, Are You Watering Your Camels? Who remembers the story about Rebecca watering her camels? You know what? You've got, to be, you've got to be doing the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right people. If you're single and you want to get married, you better be doing the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right people. That's how you get the right person. Hello? And so that's what this is all about. It's uh, a, a little subtitle This uh, for this would be, uh, it's hard to marry plan A when you're living plan D. Some of you are like, uh, uh, oh, you know, I got married and I looked over in the bed and I went, oh no, I'm married plan D. 
I hope, whoever laughed like that, you're in trouble probably. I don't know who you are, but you're probably in trouble. But you know what? If you want to marry plan A, you got to be living plan A. And that's what this is about. Who wants this? There you go. So we'll get it. That was, uh, uh, we're done with that. I just wanted to get that out, out there and, and talk about that. I am married. I've been married for 37 years. Been in ministry for 38 years. I've got six, uh, three kids and six grandkids. You're looking at uh, my wife and her, my wife and I are called Pop and Lolly or Lolly Pop, whichever you want to, <laughs> whichever. I prefer to say Pop and Lolly. She prefers to say Lolly and Pop. But uh, Lolly is on Lolly duty in Raleigh, North Carolina. I have a son who's a youth pastor there. And uh, they and their pastoral team went to a pastor's conference. And uh, so uh, Lolly got called to Lolly duty in North Carolina. And uh, so she's, she's having fun out there. You know, um, it struck me as uh, Pastor Tom prayed in his office before church and just now talking about the office. Um, and it, I, I want to just address something because it's a little bit unusual for me in this sense. I'm not a prophet. Never thought of myself as a prophet. I, I'm a pastor, youth pastor, that, that kind of thing. But um, I come this morning and I humbly, before God and before you, feel like I'm supposed to submit this message almost in a prophetic sense to you. So I want you to listen with that ear, listen with that bent, listen with that thought coming in your mind. I don't know how specific it'll be. I'm just going to be obedient to the Lord. But I really feel something powerful here this morning. Matter of fact, I want you to do something with me. I want you to, uh, you, we know the scripture, very, most of us know the scripture very well that says this, that says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So reach over and touch the person next to you and say, because you showed up, he showed up. Now, I wanted to qualify that because if I'd have just said, hey, reach over and touch your neighbor and say, because you showed up, he showed up, some of you'd be going to look at me like, what? <laughs> it's biblical to say that. It is absolutely, completely biblical that you can look at the person sitting next to you and because you came to church, he came to church. Three people agreed with that. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Amen. I must be about my father's business. It's an amazing story. Joseph and Mary had taken their little family to Jerusalem from Nazareth to take care of some legal things. And you can read all about that. You probably know all about that. But they decided to go home. They were done. And they weren't rolling in an Escalade either. They were walking. And so the scripture says that they left and they had gone a day's journey. And they started looking for Jesus and they couldn't find him. How would you like to be the parents who lost God? <laughs> they start asking everybody, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They, come on parents, they went into panic mode. They went a day's journey. They went a day's journey back. God's been lost for two days. Scripture says they looked for him for three days. They lost God for five days. They find him where? In church, holding court with the preachers. He's listening to them. They're listening to a 12-year-old. And mom shows up, and I think the Scripture just tries to be really nice and kind and <laughs> Come on, moms. How many of you know what you would have said to your kid if he'd been lost for five days, whether he was God or not? <laughs> I think scripture was real. I think Dr. Luke was really kind. And he says, don't you know these words? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? 
Now, that, those seven words change drastically if you take out one word. And this is where the Spirit of God wants me to challenge us this morning. And to challenge us in such a way that it will hopefully go from your head to your heart and translate into your everyday life. Because if you take out one word, I must be about my business. Totally changes the picture. And unfortunately, I know I'm looking at many, many, many Christ followers. And some of you that that aren't Christ followers, maybe today you'll become one. But here's the thing, as a Christ follower, we still struggle living our life and being about my father's business. So many of us say, I come to church, I prayed, I sang, I gave, I loved, I shook hands, I hugged a few people, I talked to some more, and I took my kids to church, but on Monday, I must be about my business. And that's not at all what being a Christ follower is about. Being a Christ follower is 24-7, 365. We follow Jesus. You say, well, preacher, I I do that. I, I, I do that. Well, do you really? I want you to think about something, one more little thought here about this story in Jesus. Jesus was 12, and we obviously know that Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was 30. So he lived with his I must on the inside of him for 18 years. Where's all my young people? Where's all my 12-year-olds? Where's all my 10-year-olds? Where's all my 17-year-olds? Where's all my 25-year-olds? Where's everybody in here that's going, oh, man, I got saved. I got filled with the Spirit at youth camp. And, well, I just kind of went, I'm living sideways, living this way, living that way. Well, God said he called me. God said he'd do this. Well, I'm still waiting. Can I just tell you something? If you abort the process, you abort the mission. 18 years, God waited. Jesus waited to literally step into his I must. You're the bur- Some of you are old enough to be the Burger King generation. You want it your way right away. There's some of you are the young enough. You just want to nuke your dream, put it in the microwave for two minutes, and bam, I got a dream. It's not, it doesn't happen that way. You must be about your father's business. And in Luke 4, 18, Jesus preached his first sermon. 18 years later, he stood in church and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He lived with an I must from that day forward, but it was in him when he was 12. Came to the place in John chapter 4, verse 4. We know the story well. If you've been in church any time at all, Jesus said to his disciples, I must go through Samaria. He's still living with an I must. And we all know the story. He, this woman that he meets at the well. And a whole village comes out to see him. Now, now we kind of got that story a little messed up. If you know anything about that culture and that place, some of you have probably been there, a well was not that far outside the city. You're talking two, 300 yards maybe, and, and it was the, all of the well for a city. So it really wasn't a city like Madison. It was probably a village. It was probably two, three, maybe 400 people at the most. But literally, when Jesus reads her mail, she leaves and goes and gets the entire city. One woman evangelizes an entire village. And they come here, because why? Jesus was living with an I must. And in the same chapter, in John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said these words, my food is to do the will of God, the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Can you see in that text, again, Jesus is living with an I must spirit. 
On the count of three, everybody say, I must. One, two, three. Look at the person on your right and left and tell them you better. Now, let me, let me share something with you, and I, I think that they got this on the PowerPoint, but most of us live with an I should mentality, not an I must mentality. And I should is absolutely, completely a negative perspective on God's will. Because guilt and shame and blame and all of those things come into the phrases of I should. I should be religious. I should look better. I should negotiate. I should put my flesh down. I should read my Bible. I should witness. I should lift my hands in worship. And you come to church. I mean, come, come on. How many of you know I was a Christ follower long before I was ever a preacher or a pastor? Right? So I go through the same things you go through. I should pray more. I should witness more. I should read my Bible more. I should pray more. I should, I should, I should, I should. And we live with that blame, guilt, shame when we don't do it. Now don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm going to raise both my hands. I think that way. I should, I should, I should, I should. But what God is shifting my thinking, he's shifting me into living out of an I must mentality like Jesus did. I must, I must, I must have a greater relationship with Jesus. I must exhibit Jesus everywhere I go. I must get the scripture inside me. And you know, frankly, folks, there's really no excuse for not getting more of the word in you these days with podcasts, with you can have Bluetooth headphones and you can push your device and you can listen to the Bible while you're driving down the road. I mean, there's just, well, I, I used to hear it all the time, Pastor Tom, oh, I just don't like to read. I just, I just hate reading in the nicest, kindest, sweetest way I know how with a smile on my face, shut up. <laughs> you can listen to the Bible. You can get God's word. You know, no matter how bad you hate to read, no matter how slow you read, you can listen to the Bible. Pastor Tom is looking at me like, I'm paying you for that comment. I must. Can I tell you the genesis of this entire message outside the word of God? Just, just indulge me a minute. With my PowerPoint, I sent a picture with it. I actually took a picture of it. I don't know if they translated it. But on our kitchen counter in my home, my wife has this beautiful framed it's, it's not a dry erase board. It's actually a piece of tile that's been framed. And you can write with a dry erase marker on it in her beautiful cursive handwriting. And she puts these sayings on it all the time. It's right by the coffee pot, a very strategic spot in my house. <laughs> and it says on there, doesn't say this anymore, it did, but this is the genesis of this message. Someone is waiting on your obedience today. <laughs> Come on, guys. I, I looked at that the first morning. I saw it the first morning. I poured my coffee. I went, oh, no, what have I forgotten? <laughs> but when she didn't remind me of anything or she didn't say, oh, you forgot this, I just figured it was the Holy Spirit telling me somebody is waiting on your obedience today. Somebody needs you to pick up the telephone. Somebody needs you to send that email. Somebody in your office needs you to walk by and look in the, in the eye and say, I believe in you. Somebody needs you to write that little handwritten note of encouragement. Your son, your daughter needs that hug. You're somebody in this room today. You need to hear that God believes in you, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that that light at the end of the tunnel is not a train. It's the glory of God coming to rescue you.
You need to be obedient. Somebody is waiting in Madison, Wisconsin. Somebody is waiting on your obedience, Christ follower. Somebody is waiting on you to live with a spirit that says, I must be about my father's business. And it's not that you're in the pulpit preaching. It's not that you're at a piano singing, that maybe you have that gift, maybe you have that call. But I'm telling you something, if I know anything about pastors today, including your pastor, he wants you to do what he can't do so he can do what you can't do. He wants you to tell people about Jesus and you get your friends, your family, your coworkers to a place, to a cell group, to a church service, to somewhere where they can hear the gospel and then he'll do what you can't do he'll preach and give an altar call I must I must I must I must be about my father's not my business my father's business I've got four little short points for you today off this introduction number one I must moments happen they happen. Do you recognize them? <laughs> Isn't it a, you know how I must moments happen? God speaks. God speaks to you to pray, to pick up the phone, to call, to send the email. God speaks. The Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you inspires you in a God moment in the split second to be obedient. And sometimes, God, isn't it amazing how much God's voice sounds like Pastor Tom? Young people, isn't it amazing how much God's voice sounds like your mama? Come on. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Yes, your, God speaks through your dad. Yes, God speaks. Through, isn't it amazing, young people, how much God's voice sounds like Pastor Derek? This morning in this service, it's all, I can look on your faces. You're hungry. You're, you're dialed in. You're tuned in. Isn't it amazing how much God's voice sounds like this funky guy from Texas? I must moments happen when God speaks. Jesus said in John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Oh, great. You're talking about Jesus. He always pleases the Father. Folks, it's really not that difficult to say, I want to be about your business, God. Not my business, but your business. Get up every day. I must. Lord, show me my I must. You know what? Here's how I must moments happen is when you pray daily. God, I want to live my I must. I have a reminder. It's in the tried and true. T-shirts used to be the track of the 90s. Now it's wrist bracelets. Mine says I must. I wear it. This, this never comes off. I, I, I have not taken this off in over a year. It reminds me, I must, I must, I must, I must, I must, I must. When I feel that little nudge to share my faith, not say, bless God, I'm a pastor, brother, can I speak with you? When I just want to be an everyday Joe Christ follower, and I just, I just pray for somebody. I just speak with somebody. I just say, can I, can I, can I say, talk to you a moment? <laughs> it's just that, it really is that simple, folks. And, and you, Pastor Tom talks about resources. I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to get rich off these, but I've, I've got them. They're $1, $1. If you want to live in your I must and you want a reminder, go buy one. If you don't, I, I'm not going to be offended, and furthermore, I won't know. But I must moments happen when you obey God. Number two, I must moments become I must habits. It just becomes nature. I must, Jesus, I'm at 12. I must be about my father's business. Well, so my question is, if he had his I must at 12 
and he waited 18 years to fulfill his I must, what was he doing between 12 and 30? Habits. Habits, 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 habits. He was listening to his father. He is being obedient to his father. He was becoming, hello, hello, are you ready for this? He was becoming a disciple. How many of you know Jesus at 12? He, he was tempted in every way. The Bible says he was tempted on every way just like us. So from 12 to 30, he was going through some stuff. And he developed the habits of an I must spirit between 12 and 30. So when it got time to step into his ultimate I must, he was ready. I know I probably said a dirty word when I said disciple. Because a disciple is totally different than a Christ follower. Hello? Christ follower is entry level. Disciple is when you decide to come under discipline and you set under somebody and they talk to you, they confront you, they teach you, they train you. There's accountability in, in being a disciple. And for 18 years, I believe, I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus was a disciple and probably it was his father and his mother who did the discipling. Strict discipline. I must moments become I must habits. Thirdly, my life becomes an I must message. I want to show you a little video. You're probably going to laugh a little bit. It's just three minutes long. It's at a music festival. I'll set it up just a little bit. It's a little weird. Uh, not in a bad sense, but you're, you'll, you'll tell, you'll, you'll tell it. But, but I want to teach off this video about I must, I must become, I, my life becomes an I must message when you get what you're going to see here. Watch this. Okay, you can stop it. 
You say, what in the world does that have to do with God, Jesus, and I must? Well, real simple. The point is, my life becomes an I must message. The guy, the first guy that started dancing with his shirt off and no shoes on and the shorts, he was going to dance no matter what, right? No matter with, whether anybody joined him or not. So we call him the leader. I mean, you know, Jesus was going to die on the cross no matter whether anybody followed him or not. Right? He was dying on the cross, period. It's, that was his, I must. He had to do it. So the most important person in the video was not the guy dancing with his shirt off and his shoes off. The most important guy in the entire three-minute video was the first follower. The first follower changed the leader from a lunatic to a leader. <laughs> Come on, somebody. The first follower, I'm going to say that line again because some of you need to really get this. The first follower changed the lunatic into a leader. And then many things happened. And, and I added this. I, I didn't send this ahead. I added this this morning because when I was in prayer this morning in my hotel room, the Lord gave me a phrase that you need to write this down. This is the prophetic part of what God has sent me here to say, and I want to say it so precisely and concisely that you cannot miss it. And if you're watching this on the internet and, or some other form and you're sitting on your couch right now, you need to hear the word of the Lord. This is for you. This will change your life. You ready? I must moments become I must momentum. And I must momentum becomes an I must movement. That's what happened in a condensed form on that video. An I must moment, a, a man that looks like a lunatic, the first follower made him a leader, and the momentum came, and more came, and more came, and more came, and next thing you know, there is a movement on a hillside of everybody dancing. That is what Jesus did on this earth, my friends. His I must moment caused I must momentum, and I must momentum created a movement, which is why you and I are Christ followers today, because that I must movement moved around the world. And I believe, Pastor Tom, I believe, I don't know, I, I, I flew in yesterday, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what drama, what trauma, what's going on, but I believe that there is momentum building in this fellowship, that there is, I must moments, and I believe there is a movement that is afoot. And that movement is not just going to touch the city, it's going to touch a region in Jesus' name. I see a movement being birthed within the heart and the soul of men and women that attend this fellowship. And I believe with every fiber of my being that you are going to get what the, lead, the lunatic, he couldn't help it. He couldn't help but dance. But one follower turned a lunatic into a leader. If you will catch what Jesus is doing in these I must moments, in these services, in what God's doing in prayer meetings, and what God's voicing through your pastor, if you will catch those I must moments, they turn into I must momentum when you build them together. And then the next thing you know, you've got this person and that person and Sally and Susie and Johnny and Billy and the high school guy and the college person. And you've got, you've got a moment, you've got a movement on your hands. Because individuals become obedient. Someone is waiting on your obedience today. I said a moment ago that I, 
was in Mongolia for 10 days. I preached the first Sunday I was there. I preached at a church that 60% of that church was under 25. And so the pastor, knowing what I'm about, he asked me to preach on sexual purity on Sunday morning. He asked me to be sex ed on Sunday morning. I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I am sure. So I did a message on sexual purity on Sunday morning, gave an altar call for salvation, and a guy, there were many people that came forward to, to receive Christ, to become a Christ follower, but one guy, his name was Matsaki. Matsaki is Korean. His mother's Korean. She's married to a Mongolian man, but Matsaki is 100%. His biological father and mother are Korean, South Korean. He speaks fluent Korean, fluent Mongolian, and he was absolutely fluent in English. So that was on Sunday morning, and I shook his hand and met him, and, and uh, I thought everything was great. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, I did a youth training for their, the third year of a Bible school that's going on. And they, they, for three nights in a row, for four hours, they got an entire course on youth ministry. It was, they sat there like they were drinking from a fire hose for four hours. <laughs> and um, Matsaki shows up the first night. And I said to him, I said, why are you here? He said, well, I just asked my youth pastor and my pastor, because they were, I said, I wanted to come. I wanted to come here. I wanted to hear you speak again. And they said, well, come on. He wasn't a youth pastor. He just wanted to show up. Brand new Christ follower. The second night, he comes in about 30 minutes late to the meeting. And he comes in and he looks like he'd been run over by a Mack truck. Circles under his eyes. His hair's all messed up. He's... He's, he, instead of that excitement, he slumped over, and we had a break, a water break to, to you know, I couldn't just talk for four hours straight. And so he, I walk up to him, and I, Matsaki, are you okay? You don't, are you feeling well? He said, well, I feel good. He said, and I said, well, what's going on? He said, last night when I got home from the meeting, on Sunday, I told my mother that I became a Christ follower. Last night after the youth meeting, she wanted to know what, where I was and what I was doing. And I told her all about what you were talking about, how to reach young people. And, and, and so when I got home, my mom had three shamans waiting on me. Now go look it up. Shamanism is a religion in that part of the world, Buddhism and shamanism. She had shaman preachers had three shaman preachers. He said, they stayed up with me, till, kept me up till four in the morning, and they did everything short of physical violence to get me to turn my back on Jesus. And I said, well, what happened? He said, I refused. <laughs> he said to me, and, and I didn't, I, before Jesus, I did not coach these words. He looked at me and he said, he said, pastor, he said, I must follow Jesus. You see, your life becomes an I must message. When you can't help it, when there's a cause within, like Jesus said in John 12, 27 about his life, he said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Even Jesus was having a weak moment. And he said, no, but for this cause I came for this hour. See, what creates your I must is a cause within. Not I must be about my business, I must be about my father's business. And I'm saying it again, somebody is waiting on your obedience today. Somebody will be waiting on it tomorrow. It might be your children, it might be your wife, it might be your husband, it might be your boss, it might be the, the, the owner of your company when you go into the boardroom. You say, oh, oh, how God would you? Yes, God would use you in the boardroom. The marketplace is desperate for people that are living with an I must that has nothing to do with dollar signs. I'm telling you what, if you'll take care of God's business, he'll take care of your business. 
If you go into the marketplace, into your, your doctor's office, you'll go into your office, you'll go into your cubicle, you'll go into your company, and you live with an I must spirit on the inside of you, people will wake up and notice there's something different about you. And there'll be opportunity after opportunity because there is a cause within. Fourthly, today, when we live with our life becomes an I must message and we live with an I must spirit and we have those I must habits and those I must moments have happened and it's the moments become momentum and, and the momentum becomes a movement. When we live that way, fourthly, my, we create an I must memory. We have a saying at Generations Church in Lubbock, Texas where I pastor and here's our saying, we love stories and not statistics. We're a growing church. It's a, I, I pioneered the church from, from six people in my living room. And we're, we're just now topping the 200 mark. We've just now bought our own building for the first time. We're, we're uh, in our ninth year of existence. There are all the things I'm preaching to you, we're living. We're, we're the, the, the moment, the I must moments are happening. The momentum's happening. The, the movement is happening. We're not as far along as you are. But here's, here's, and I don't just say that this is not just some flippant say because we're a small church. It's something I'm trying to train in people. We love stories, not statistics. But how many of you know a bunch of stories together create statistics? But see, I, I'm more about you living the story. Well, let me give you an example. We have a neighborhood ministry called Restore. And we go into the neighborhood and we knock door, we go door to door and we knock on the same neighborhood doors every Saturday morning. And there, there's only about uh, a handful of people, uh, that, that eight to 10 people that do this. And sometimes not that many because some people can't show up every single Saturday. But this one Saturday, this happened about, uh, it was the week before Christmas. It was the Saturday before Christmas. It was pretty cold outside. Uh, not Wisconsin standards cold, but it was cold <laughs> for, uh, for Texas. And, and we were knocking on doors and there was a, a group of people that there was three ladies that were over, they were triplexes and they were one group over from where I was. And I was engaging this man in conversation outside his door. And I hear this loud scream. Now, I'm not going to scream into the microphone, but it was, ah! and I looked at my, the person that was with me. I said, I said, you go over there and check on those women right now and make sure something bad's not happening. Cause they were out of sight. And, and he runs over there and he comes back and he says, oh, everything's okay. And I hear shouting and it's still going on. And I'm kind of looking at him kind of saying, well, what's going on with these? I'm, I'm kind of responsible for these ladies. I come to find out that a lady named Courtney, she's been out of prison a year. She's a Christ follower. She's been delivered from an addiction to crack. She's been delivered from an alcohol addiction. She had an epiphany in jail and she is on fire. She got her I must and she's, she had knocked on this door and this lady came to the door limping on a walker and she said, we just, we've trained our people to knock on the door and say, we're from Generations Church. We love you. We want to pray for you. Is there anything we can do for you? And that's our introduction. We're just here to love on you. You know, we don't even invite them to church. We're just here to love on you. And the lady said, Dorothy is her name. We found that out later. Dorothy said, you can pray for me. The doctor said my hip will never be the same. Said I'll never walk without this walker ever again. Courtney didn't know any better. She said, okay. And Courtney, this is the story. She, out of her pocket, rips out one of those little vials of olive oil that you buy at the Christian bookstore. And she anoints her with oil and prays a prayer of faith in the name of Jesus. And that was the scream that I heard. The, God healed her hip. She could feel it. And she went, she goes, she went, whoa, I'm healed. And literally, I, I wasn't there to see it, but I got it secondhand that the, all the commotion was Dorothy was literally in the courtyard of this complex running around without her walker. That was on Saturday. On Sunday, we're having church, and I, I'm, in the I'm up on the pulpit giving announcements. Or well, I wasn't even preaching yet, and I see this lady walk through the door. I didn't get to meet Dorothy because I, I was doing other things. I see this lady walk through. She's carrying a walker, and she walks down, and she sits on the front row right next to my wife. And she says, is it okay if I sit here? And my wife says, yeah. <laughs> 
and then, and then and when the service is over, she, I, I'm out in the foyer greeting people, and, and she comes by, and, and I said, hi, uh, I, I'm so glad to have you at church today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll come back, blah, 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 blah. And she's still carrying her walker. And I said, what is your name? And she said, my name is Dorothy. And I went, oh, you're the one. And she goes, yeah, I walked two and a half blocks to church today carrying this thing. <laughs> We love stories more than statistics. Because living with an I must in your life creates memories. Because you, create, you have I must moments that become I must habits that become an I must message and then you're creating memories every day of your life. I guarantee you this church is built on I must memories. But they're old. Who wants to make some new memories in here? Who wants to make some new memories? I close with three little phrases. Somebody's waiting on your obedience. Daily live in your I must, and here's the thoughts. Expect it. Expect God to speak to you. Expect God, is it about my destiny in 20 years, in 15 years? Is it about who I'm going to marry? Is it about the job I'm going to have? No, it's about today. It's about today. Because I'm going to say, say it again, if you abort the process, you abort the mission. You've got to live with an I must spirit. I don't care if you're 65 or 15. You've got to live with an I must spirit. You've got to expect God to speak to you. I got up this morning. I got the, the, the moment, the momentum, and the movement thing this morning. Why? Because I got up and prayed, God, give me my I must for today. I never would have dreamed that over six million teenagers in public schools around the world would have heard me speak about sexual purity. You heard that number right. Six million teenagers around the world have heard me proclaim the truth about living a sexually pure life. I didn't have my Bible. I mean, if you know John 8, 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will. I don't have to quote scripture to speak the truth. I would have never dreamed that in 2008, 40 million people would have heard me on the Dr. Phil show, proclaim sexual purity to a generation. I would have never dreamed that I'd been in 35 different foreign countries. I will be in Monrovia, Liberia, the last week of April, teaching 40 pastors how to grow their church and build a church from scratch. Be doing a conference called Courage to Lead, my son will be going with me, who is 31 years old. We will be talking about generational leadership. 40 pastors will hear that. Those 40 pastors have already committed to their bishop to take the manuals that we print for them, and they're going to go teach it to 20 other pastors. We'll be talking to five. These 40 pastors are from five different nations in West Africa. Those 40 will go share with 20 more. The math's easy. That's 800 pastors that will get to hear the duplicated I must message that I'm going to be speaking to them. And those 800 pastors, all pastor congregations between 120 and 150 people. Do the math. That's over 90,000 people. All because... Not because I'm so great, because I'm so smart, because I know people in Monrovia. It has nothing to do with that. It has because I chose to get up every day of my life. And maybe I didn't know how to phrase it like this, like I'm phrasing it today. But I learned a long time ago, I must be about my father's business. And I never, listen to me, I never, 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 never quit. <laughs> you know the only thing that disqualifies you 
And this is for somebody, I don't know who this is for, this is for somebody in this room, this is the word from the Spirit of God, the anointing of God is all over me right now. Sir, I don't know what you've done, ma'am, I don't know what's going on in your life, young person, I don't know what, you, what you're thinking about doing, I'm just telling you right now, by the Spirit of the living God, the only thing, failure does not disqualify you from living with an I must spirit. The only thing that will disqualify you is if you quit. Failure is not disqualification. Failure is just a delay. That's all it is. The only thing that will stop you from living with an I must spirit, no matter how old you are, is if you quit. Sir, you cannot stop. You cannot get out of the game because you've had a moral failure or a financial bankruptcy. You must press forward and live with an I must spirit. Your failure is nothing more than a delay. Just repent, learn, and keep going forward. If failure disqualified us, what in the world was Peter doing preaching on Sunday morning? What was Paul doing writing 13 books of the New Testament as a murderer? as a terrorist. That's what Paul was. He was a terrorist to Christians. If failure disqualifies you, why is this book full of men and women? David was a perverted peeping Tom. Put in 21st century terms, David had a porn addiction. Hello? They just didn't have the internet. He just had the biggest house in the neighborhood and could peep. Am I making sense? This is not the altar call, but I've got to stop right here for a moment. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If the devil has lied to you and said your failure has disqualified you. If the devil has lied to you and said your failure disqualifies you, I just expose that lie. If that's you right now, no matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing, every head bowed and every eye closed, this is a private moment. I don't want to embarrass anyone. <clears throat> I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I do want to obey the spirit and pray for you. Raise your hand right now. If the devil's lied to you about your failure. There's hands up all over this room. Father, you can put your hands down. Just put, Father, you saw every hand that went up. I saw them, balcony. I saw them on the floor. God, I just declared the devil, you're a liar. In Jesus' name, your lie has been revealed. We break the back of shame and blame and guilt. And Lord, we declare these people are hearing their I must. Failure will not stop them in Jesus' name. And everybody said? And look up here. The second word is you expect to receive it. The, the, the next thing is you find it. You expect to receive your I must, and then you find your I must moment. And then thirdly, what you do is you act on it. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. I, I'm scared. Join the club. Join the club. You say, you don't look scared. <laughs> My goodness, I get scared every time before I preach. It lasts about three seconds. And then the... Can you do that? Expect it, find it, and act on it? That's what you do. Would you stand together with me today? Would you just... Acknowledge the Holy Spirit in one thing. If you're standing with me today in this auditorium and you heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to you about an act of obedience, an I must spirit, you know there's something that you've got to obey. And I, there's no, I, I trust the, the Holy Spirit's big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to hold you accountable for that. Not me. But you heard the Spirit today. Who would acknowledge in this auditorium this morning, Pastor, I heard that still small voice in my spirit tell me I have and I must, and I must obey God. Just get your hand up right now. Come on. Come on. Look at this. God bless you. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray over everyone that has a hand up. 
that they leave here and obey your, obey your voice. They expect it, they find it, and they act on it. Ma'am, right here in the black, right here, ma'am, in your black clothes, there is such a, there's an I must upon you. There's a spirit. It's almost like I see you squirming under the I must. And it's so powerful that when you step into that I must, it's almost like the, the, the heavens have been brass and it's like the lid gets removed for you personally. Obedience. You can put your hands down. Bow your heads and pray with this prayer with me. If you're watching on the internet, if this is a live stream, something that you're doing in your living room, would you please stop what you're doing and pray with us right now? I need every Christ follower in this room that you know that you've decided to follow Jesus. You've decided, I am a Christ follower. I will follow Jesus all the days of my life. I need you to be praying right now. There might be somebody beside you, somebody in front of you, somebody behind you that needs to make the greatest decision of their life, and that is to become a Christ follower. Listen, I, we, we, in church, we talk about, we use Christianese terms. And, and you know what? People say saved. People say born again. People say following Jesus. But you know what? I got one word for you, church. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you're listening on the internet or you're in this room live. Listen to me. One word, surrender. One word. You need to surrender to Jesus today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to help those people. We're going to, because all of us have done this before, we're going to help those that have never done it before. We're going to pray with them. We're going to pray out loud, loudly, and together. We're going to pray a prayer where people can say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender. So let's all do that right now. I'm going to lead you. You pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross for me. I believe that if I'd been the only one, you'd have died just for me. I want to surrender my life to you. I know that I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. I've been in charge of my life. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to turn from my old lifestyle and start a new lifestyle. And Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to forgive me of all of my sin and be the Lord of my life. Amen. Open your eyes and look at me. Maybe you prayed that prayer for the very first time in your life. There's going to be a ministry team that in a moment they're going to be down here at the front. And they want to pray with you. Or if you want to go by the visitor center and just tell somebody, hey, I decided to become a Christian today. I decided to surrender. They've got some materials for you that they would love to give you. But you know what? I believe that there's some of you in the balcony, there's some of you down here on the floor that for the very first time in your life, you said, I surrender. You made the best decision of your life. And the rest of you, you're going to leave here. Who's, going, who's leaving here and going to go live an I must life? And you're going, to, you're going to have I must moments that turn into I must momentum. And there is an I must movement starting in this house. Thank you for the privilege of speaking God's word in your lovely church home today. I'm also going to be standing right here. If you want to come speak with me, I'll be glad to be right here and be available to you. But please, it is vital that if you're deciding to surrender to Christ for the first time in your or maybe, maybe you're just coming home. Maybe you're just saying, I, I kind of went that way and I know I need to get back where I'm supposed to be. You need to let us know about that decision too. Amen? God bless you. Father, I speak a blessing of obedience over this church. Lord, like a, like a benediction, like a prophetic benediction, I speak over City Church that they will go into every place, every nook and cranny of this community. And Lord, I declare in Jesus' name that they will not be about my business. They will be about my Father's business. 
And Lord, I pray that their ears will be able to hear clearer than they've ever heard. Their spirit will be able to hear your voice clearer than ever before in their life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, as you're dismissed, ministry team, please come to the front. God bless you. See you.